Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. Prudent policy and governance is the disruption. It is the disruption, folks. Otherwise, what is the point? And if you don't believe that prudent policy and governance can work anymore, then you're the fool. Get your guns, get out in the streets, start shooting now. You're the bigger fool. I don't believe prudent governance works. I don't believe good policy outcomes works, but I'm going to stay in my home and do nothing. I've so, in other words, I've given up on the system, right? What's the point of voting? What is the point of voting? Ultimately, it's supposed to be for good policy outcomes. If you don't believe good policy outcomes matter anymore, then why are you at home? Why are you part of some militia group? That is the disruption. There are only two options. It's not the two in that text. There are only two options. And those two options are good policy governance or civil war. Those are your only two options. Not an endless troll, not an endless clickbait industry, not a going. The idea that we're just going to sit here for another 10 or 15 years and slowly devolve and say the worst things about each other. And then afterwards, hey, have you guys seen that new series on Netflix tonight? Nope. 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 We may not be serious. These people are. If you have if you have organized the highest branches of government to do what they did and you carry this false narrative forward for years years the idea that the answer to that is to continually remind people these are bad people these are untrustworthy people don't trust where these people work don't trust who they vote for don't trust what they support don't trust the systems they're a part of don't trust the institutions they belong to okay but then what I'm asking help me but then what what is the option then? To, to what end? It's always been about the outcome. If we're not here for the outcome, then what are we here for? Join the militia group now. If prudent governance and good policy can't make a difference, and by the way, there are times in history that it cannot make a difference. In less than two months, we're going to commemorate an anniversary called the 4th of July. What is that a commemoration of? A time and a place when good governance and prudent policy was no longer going to make the difference, right? Yes. And so what did they do? Well, we know. They declared war. They seceded from the United Kingdom. That's what they did. They seceded from the British crown. Issued a document of secession. Then get going on this, then. You might even be right. I might be wrong that it is too late for that. Here's what I know, though, is a false choice. I'm just going to continue to say it is too late, but then do nothing about the fact that it's too late. That's the false choice. I would prefer not to fight a civil war. Do I look like someone 
ready to go fight a civil war. I would argue we've barely tried for a generation. We have barely tried prudent governance. We barely tried policy outcomes, barely tried it. We wasted a generation voting for a bunch of people who hate us. There's a few places where we did try it. Florida, where I live, Iowa. Well, holy hell, lo and behold, look what happened. When I started in Iowa, when I started my activism in Iowa, Democrats had more control over this state than they had had since the freaking Civil War. They are now extinct in this state. Extinct. Don't lecture me about how to beat them. I did. We did. We did it. We beat them. How did we do it? Good policy and good governance. In Florida, for the first time ever, there is not a single Democrat holding statewide elected office. How did they do it? Good policy and good governance. In Texas, why is your border overrun still five months after your governor declared an emergency invasion? Bad policy, bad governance. If we don't believe that works anymore, then tell me what you're, the only alternative at that point is, well, the history books show us what the alternative is. Sumter, Lexington, Concord, those are your alternatives. Get busy living or get busy dying. Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. All right. Happy Tuesday. Greetings. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. My name is Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin. He is Aaron McIntyre. We have a lot to get to today, so let us get to it. Here's what you can look forward to on the show today. At the bottom of this hour, the glorious return of one of the greatest badasses I've had a chance to get to meet and know over the last couple of years. Dr. Peter McCullough will be making his triumphant return to this program here at the bottom of the hour. Don't miss that. Let us begin, as we always do, with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by exoneration isn't the same as accountability. The Obama administration possessed no real evidence that then-candidate Donald Trump colluded with Russian government officials when it launched its investigation into the Trump campaign leading up to the 2016 election. That's according to a new bombshell report on Monday. Special counsel John Durham released the findings of his years-long investigation into the origins of the FBI's surveillance of the Trump campaign in the months before, during, and after the 2016 presidential contest. Despite the agency's claims that the inquiry, commonly referred to as Crossfire Hurricane, was predicated on the belief that Trump's campaign was colluding with Russian officials leading up to the election, Durham's report found the FBI had no evidence to warrant such an investigation. The FBI released a statement in response to the news saying, quote, the conduct in 2016 and 2017 that special counsel Durham examined was the reason that current FBI leadership already implemented dozens of corrective actions, which have now been in place for some time, had those reforms been in place in 2016. The missteps identified in the report could have been prevented. This report reinforces the blah, 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 blah. Just to show you how those reforms are working here is disgraced former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe on CNN just last night. We knew from the very beginning this was never a legitimate investigation. This was a political errand to exact some sort of retribution on Donald Trump's perceived enemies in the FBI. That's what Mr. Durham has done. And you stand by the original Russia investigation? 
Absolutely. So to boil all this down, the Obama administration, the Clinton campaign, the FBI and the broader Department of Justice colluded and conspired to exert government power against then candidate Donald Trump. And the reaction to this coming to light is LOL. New York City Mayor Eric Adams is finding out that when it comes to illegal immigration, life comes at you fast, bro. Where the heck is the president of the United States? Uh, that, that is a good question, and I think we all should be asking, uh, why is this happening to a city that was turning itself around and will continue to do so? Uh, this should not be happening to New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles, and the other big northern cities. And really, it should not be happening to El Paso or Brownsville, Texas. No city should be carrying this burden. According to Axios, at least three people on a list of 150 endorsements from so-called grassroots leaders in Iowa outed by the Trump campaign, were not consulted about their supposed endorsement and remain undecided on the 2024 race. Whoops. Pfizer horse doctor Albert Bourla is really concerned people don't like his company as much as they should. 80% globally, in the U.S., 90 plus percent. If you ask anyone on the street, do you know what is Pfizer? They know that it is a company that is making vaccines and, uh, and uh, tr uh, tr treatments. And the second thing it is, that the, the amount of people that they have very positive opinion and trust us is very, very high, higher than not ever, very, very high on the 60s, which means that um, we are having a very strong base that people are trusting us. But clearly there is a, a smaller group, but uh, very vocal, uh, very passionate that they have doubts about it. And finally, how Disney comes up with new movie ideas. Here's the Babylon Bee. Okay, dreamers of all ages. Um, we got to come up with the next billion dollar idea. As you know, Strange World, Turning Red, and Lightyear all flopped for some reason. Okay, I don't understand why we're not connecting with the audience. Okay, but whatever the case, we need to come up with something fresh. Okay, so what, what do you guys got for me? Well, I, I've actually got a couple original ideas that I've been working on, if you want to what? take a look. What's your, original ideas? Okay, uh, who's, the, who's the chump? He's the new guy. Okay, classic new guy. No, no original ideas. We are going to the Disney vault to find something that we can remake. And I've got the perfect idea. Aladdin. Yes, brown people are so in right now. <laughs> you already did that. It had Will Smith for some reason. <laughs> okay, what if we remade uh, Cinderella? You did that too. Twice, I think. One of them had Brandy. Okay, um, too. what if Cinderella is non-binary and uh, we call it uh, Cinderella Man? That's a Ron Howard movie. It won an Oscar. Okay, fine. What about, uh, what about Lion King? You did that too. You didn't let me finish, Hank. Yeah, Hank, dummy. Okay, we remake Lion King. Only this time it's a live action remake of the upcoming cartoon remake of the live action of the cartoon. It's a re-remake. Oh, it's re-remake. I love it. You can watch that entire video on the Babylon Bee YouTube channel, and that's what happened while we were away. All right, let us get to Aaron's montage, and I really want to discuss one singular topic today, and you can probably agree or assume that you know what it is. However, it may not necessarily get discussed in the way that you are anticipating, even if you are anticipating the topic. I found this yesterday on Hillary Clinton's official Twitter account. It is still up, dated October 31st, 2016. Statement from Jake Sullivan on new report exposing Trump's secret line of communication to Russia. Literally just days before the election. 
Keep in mind from the final Durham report that was released yesterday, we now know that as of at least as early as August of 2016, they knew going in that they were essentially promoting a scam. They were essentially practicing election fraud. So they knew this in August. Here we are almost three full months later and days before the election, Hillary Clinton is still putting out official campaign correspondence about, quote, exposing Trump's secret line of communication to Russia. This is soulless and it is shameless. But when referring to Hillary Clinton, I repeat myself. This is the fulfillment of the last of the the climactic scene of primary colors, both the book and the movie. And and this is where the the campaign operative that the Clintons have hired walks away disgusted. She asks for or they they task her for digging up opposition research against essentially Paul Songus to take him out. And she does it but then gives it to them as a test to see if they've lost their soul, if they have become the very Nixonian characters that when they were at university and they were, they were hippies and free and idealistic, that they would never become like these rascally elderly Republicans. So she gives them the oppo research as a test to see if they have really lost their soul, finds out they take the oppo research and use it to take Paul Songus out and realizes they have lost her soul, so she walks away. That movie is a quarter century old now, as is the book. Here it is played out right here. Just a complete and total lie. And one of cataclysmic geopolitical proportions, by the way. And this was something that was coordinated, as Aaron pointed out, quoting from the Durham report, at the highest echelons of the Obama administration, including the president himself, And the highest ranking members of our intelligence community and some of the highest ranking members of our bureaucratic state. The only collusion that took place was the collusion between the deep state swamp, whatever you want to call it, the administrative state and the Democratic Party to collude to win an election. And keep in mind, at this point in time, every poll, including Trump's polling, because I was privy to it, every poll... And every simulation had them overwhelmingly winning. Like this wouldn't be an excuse. But it's not like this thing was nip and tuck the whole way through, right? And she gets desperate at the end and, you know, pulls some desperate canard October surprise to win. When they hatched this plan in August, Republicans had just come out of a convention where... Trump had given a largely panned acceptance speech titled I Alone, and it's, you know, not the classic live song from the 90s. It was not a good speech. Yeah, the whole thing with booing Ted Cruz after he said to vote your conscience. I mean, that was not the we're out of here unified and fired up convention. Remember that? It was not. There was there was literally no realistic expectation both within the political class or the media class, but again, I repeat myself for the second time, um, that, that he had much of a chance to win. So you can't even say desperate at the last minute 
to achieve some lifelong goal. That would not make any of this better. But it wasn't even that. These are just terrible people. As Todd likes to say, the lie lie is the point. They like to do these things. They get off on it. It's 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 a natural habitat. It's the air in which they breathe. It's demonic. And then what went on for the next few years, once Trump ascends to the presidency, is nothing that can be described as anything other than some attempt at a coup. A de facto one, the undermining of his presidency the entire time. An actual one, the Mueller probe, which then, of course, got decimated. A soft coup. And now, of course, I guess we should assume that all the people and agencies that were engaged in this are now going to completely tell us the truth about the U.S. involvement in Ukraine, what's actually happening in Ukraine, and what occurred on January 6th, right? That We should just assume that they're telling us all the truth on this now, of course. Here it comes, sure. Yes. Now, everything I just said is, is what you're going to hear almost anywhere else you're going to tune in today. But now comes the, assa- the apostles, not assassins part. Now, now, the rest of this half hour, I'm going to say to you the things that almost none of them will. Why? Because I want us to win. I don't want to lose this country. I don't want my kids to not be able to take for granted the things that we did. I don't want my future grandchildren to no longer have the freest place on earth in which to live. And I don't want that for you or your children or your grandchildren either. But we need to ask ourselves a question. To what end are we going to discuss all of this? There are three possible paths. One is turds and giggles. Anger and outrage for the sake of anger and outrage. Clicks, audience score, politics reduced to nothing more than sports talk, radio. So the status quo. That, that's one option. And then, and, 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 and whoever, is, whoever feigns the most grievance and the most appalling reaction to this wins and congrats you made the top five on itunes today that's one option that's the one we frankly choose more often than not the second option is this one will be chosen a lot too well this is why we all have to vote trump again one of the people at this meeting according to john durham was james comey the then director of the fbi Who was Donald Trump's first appointment to run the FBI when he was president? James Comey. When he finally fired James Comey, whom did he replace him with? Actually, somebody even worse, Christopher Wray, who is still there. I was just reading about Mark Houck, the pro-life guy who was charged with the seven counts. They tried to put him in prison and everything else. Comey weaponized the FBI against Trump, which by extension is weaponizing it against any of you that were going to vote for him. 
Ray has just weaponized it in total. Saying things before Congress like Antifa doesn't exist. It's just an idea. He just, I mean, literally, he is running the closest thing that a, a free republic with 400 million privately owned guns would, would permit to be a secret police or a Stasi. That's essentially what Christopher Ray is running. So let's just go. So that the end game of this is that's why we must reelect and vote again for the guy that put these people in power to do this to us. From the same people who said, don't take the jab, it's poison, it's bad, um, I, sh I never took it, or I'll never take it again, and therefore the only answer is to actually turn around and vote for the guy who funded the creation of it and still brags about it to this day. Lockdowns are terrible and bad. Look at all the damage done by lockdowns, but the end game can only be to vote for the guy who actually initiated them. Again, is, are you following me so far? Sadly, yes. Yeah, that'll be another option. I'm going to suggest a third option. Let's take a step back, assess where we are, more importantly, whom we are, even more importantly, whose we are. And let's consider the gravity of this situation as adults and not just react. Over the weekend, I received a text from a good friend, and he was passing on to me something that someone else had said. Where is it here? And he asked me for my take on it. Let me find that text here. Here it is. Over the weekend, he said this to me. It's pretty simple. DeSantis is your guy if you think a more buttoned-down executive with serious policy execution can right the ship. Trump is your guy if you think that the most valuable thing that can be done is to discredit the entire system itself. I believe that is totally, wholly, and completely wrong. And that's how I responded back to him. And this is someone I almost never disagree with. Most Americans don't participate in the process already for two reasons, laziness, but there's another reason. They just have given up on it. They don't care, don't think it makes a difference. Almost no one trusts the media. Saw a poll recently, 75% of Americans don't want another boomer election of two 80-year-old guys playing grumpy old men yelling at each other about who's the best Pfizer salesman. I mean, I don't know, man. There, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of distrust in inst the institutions right now as we speak. There is one group of people that we have yet to reach with the distrust of the system. It's the people that are actually products of it. Right? It would be, the, it'd be akin to lobbying a confederate to not trust the institution of slavery. Pardon me. I'm a confederate. All right? I mean, that's... We're here to defend that institution. That's why I'm, we're here at Bull Run to defend slavery. That's why we are here. It's like trying to get a Soviet to recognize the Communist Manifesto is a canard. They're products of the system. The only people left that trust in the system are products of it. Everybody else doesn't.
So then what is the end game? And here's what I said back to my friend. This is a false choice. Prudent policy and governance is the disruption. It is the disruption, folks. Otherwise, what is the point? And if you don't believe that prudent policy and governance can work anymore, then you're the fool. Get your guns, get out in the streets, start shooting now. You're the bigger fool. I don't believe prudent governance works. I don't believe good policy outcomes works, but I'm going to stay in my home and do nothing. I've so, in other words, I've given up on the system, right? What's the point of voting? What is the point of voting? Ultimately, it's supposed to be for good policy outcomes. If you don't believe good policy outcomes matter anymore, then why are you at home? Why are you part of some militia group? That is the disruption. There are only two options. It's not the two in that text. There are only two options. And those two options are good policy governance or civil war. Those are your only two options. Not an endless troll, not an endless clickbait industry, not a going. The idea that we're just going to sit here for another 10 or 15 years and slowly devolve and say the worst things about each other. And then afterwards, hey, have you guys seen that new series on Netflix tonight? Nope. 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 We may not be serious. These people are. If you have if you have organized the highest branches of government to do what they did and you carry this false narrative forward for years years the idea that the answer to that is to continually remind people these are bad people these are untrustworthy people don't trust where these people work don't trust who they vote for don't trust what they support don't trust the systems they're a part of don't trust the institutions they belong to okay but then what I'm asking help me but then what what is the option then? To, to what end? It's always been about the outcome. If we're not here for the outcome, then what are we here for? Join the militia group now. If prudent governance and good policy can't make a difference... And by the way, there are times in history that it cannot make a difference. In less than two months, we're going to commemorate an anniversary called the 4th of July. What is that a commemoration of? A time and a place when good governance and prudent policy was no longer going to make the difference, right? Yes. And so what did they do? Well, we know. They declared war. They seceded from the United Kingdom. That's what they did. They seceded from the British crown. Issued a document of secession. Then get going on this, then. You might even be right. I might be wrong that it is too late for that. Here's what I know, though, is a false choice. I'm just going to continue to say it is too late, but then do nothing about the fact that it's too late. That's the false choice. I would prefer not to fight a civil war. Do I look like someone 
ready to go fight a civil war. I would argue we've barely tried for a generation. We have barely tried prudent governance. We barely tried policy outcomes, barely tried it. We wasted a generation voting for a bunch of people who hate us. There's a few places where we did try it. Florida, where I live, Iowa. Well, holy hell, lo and behold, look what happened. When I started in Iowa, when I started my activism in Iowa, Democrats had more control over this state than they had had since the freaking Civil War. They are now extinct in this state. Extinct. Don't lecture me about how to beat them. I did. We did. We did it. We beat them. How did we do it? Good policy and good governance. In Florida, for the first time ever, there is not a single Democrat holding statewide elected office. How did they do it? Good policy and good governance. In Texas, why is your border overrun still five months after your governor declared an emergency invasion? Bad policy, bad governance. If we don't believe that works anymore, then tell me what you're, the only alternative at that point is, well, the history books show us what the alternative is. Sumter, Lexington, Concord, those are your alternatives. Get busy living or get busy dying. Get the hell off Twitter, get iTarget Pro, and get ready for what's coming. Time to be adults about this once and for all. Because I still get notes like this. I just got this a few minutes ago. I signed up for The Blaze almost two years ago due to your show recommendation. Your show's perspectives and opinions I respect at your show. I realize as such that you were all, you were all on the show all in for Ron. Except the vitriol that is happening now against Trump is no different than what the idiots do on The View. Are you kidding me? The idiots on The View want to talk, talk about the poison jab. The idiots on The View want to talk about lockdowns. The idiots on The View want to talk about why are you going back on your strong pro-life record? Those are the conversations they're having. Is any of that factually true? Any of it? No. None of it is! None! Not a word! Not a syllable of it is! The drug companies knew the Wuhan flu was coming and had been working on a vaccine before Operation Warp Speed, is my belief. At least Trump didn't mandate the shot. He cut them a check. By your argument, he gave them the money to fulfill their mission. That's your own argument. I don't know if your argument is true. My question is, do you know? We don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. And I am, I'm telling you, I will stand here against all of you. Everyone I work with, everyone I work for, every one of you that pays for me to have a job. I'll stand here opposed to all of you, one on all, until you can answer me the question. What is the point of this if it is not strong governance and policy outcomes? Then what the hell are we doing here? I could have had a lot less enemies in life. I could have alienated a lot less people. A lot less anxiety. A lot less stress. I thought it was about policy outcomes. That that's what we were going for here. Because the alternative to historically is if it, that that doesn't work. <laughs> take the black pill. 
raise the black flag, H.L. Mencken, and start slitting throats. There's no in-between. This idea that this is just going to be a perpetual trolling industry, a back-and-forth mutual disdain, and it will just stay in this nexus forever, is not reality. One side will govern, and the other side will have to fight. I prefer where the side governing. Maybe you don't. If that's you, join the militia now. Show me your conviction. Show me you're serious about how there's nothing left to do within the system at all. Don't just stay home and tweet. Lock and load. you're on the Steve Day Show. I rarely do this, but because of how much I respect this individual and what he has endured and stood for over the last few years, I'm going to make an exception. A lot of times you're going to think long bios can be boring, but this one's important to note. Dr. Peter McCullough is an internist, cardiologist, epidemiologist, holding degrees from Baylor, the University of Texas, University of Michigan, and SMU. He manages common infectious diseases as well as the cardiovascular complications of both the viral infections and the injuries developing from COVID-19 and after the COVID-19 vaccine as he lives in Dallas, Texas. Since the outset of the pandemic, Dr. McCullough has been a leader in the medical response to the COVID-19 disaster, has published something I can't even begin to pronounce, but it sounds like a very important paper. I went to public school. The first synthesis of sequenced multidrug treatment of ambulatory patients infected with SARS-CoV-2 in the American Journal of Medicine and subsequently updated in reviews in cardiovascular medicine. He has dozens of peer-reviewed publications on the infection and has commented extensively on the medical response to the COVID-19 crisis in all kinds of national media. On, on November 19, 2020, Dr. McCullough testified in the U.S. Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs, in the Texas Senate Committee on Health and Human Services, the Colorado General Assembly, the New Hampshire Senate, Pennsylvania Senate, and the South Carolina Senate concerning many aspects of the pandemic response. And this just goes with what he did prior to COVID, starting multiple medical journals. He is arguably the most respected cardiologist this country has ever produced. And he is with us now here on the show. Peter, it is a pleasure, brother, to have you back. How are you? Steve, great to see you. Last time I saw you was at the the opening of Nefarious. Yes, it was. What did you think of the movie, by the way, since you brought it up? Gripping. Gripping. Everyone's got to see it, Steve. It's just, when was the last time you had a movie that just, that created such uh, tension and people were talking about it for days. It was it was absolutely amazing. So congratulations. Well, you're, uh, you know how much I respect you, so that is a great compliment. Thank you very, very much for the kind words. Let's get to the latest in the aftermath uh, and the continuing fallout, really, of, of what went on with the last few years with COVID. I want to start, uh, doctor, with, with perhaps the most high-profile um, cardiovascular case in American history since, um, you know, we started heart transplants, Damar Hamlin. 
what do you, as a renowned cardiologist, he has been cleared to resume full football activities after we had to watch him have to be resuscitated, what, I think it was three or four times on the field there on that Monday night game uh, back last fall. What do you believe truly happened there? Uh, yeah, I believe, of course, I don't have, um, you know, the, the all the evidence because it hasn't been brought forward. But I think he took the COVID-19 vaccine and suffered subclinical COVID-19 vaccine-induced myocarditis. And then that, you know, with the tackle, the big surge of adrenaline, uh, he had a primary cardiac arrest on the field. He was successfully resuscitated. He probably swallowed some fluid uh, and had some in his lungs. That's the reason why he needed oxygen for a few days. But, you know, I was on Tucker Carlson within 24 hours. I told America he was going to survive. He's going to walk out of the hospital. I correctly, you know, called the case from the beginning. But I said, listen, I need to know if he took the vaccine. And so as the case evolved, you know, about six weeks later, he's interviewed by Michael Strahan. And Strahan asked him, you know, what caused the what caused this? And then uh, he says, well, I don't want to go there. I don't want to mention it. Then about a month later, Hamlin comes out and he says, well, I know what caused it. It was commodio cordis is because I was tackled in the chest. And, and uh, you know, people ask me, is that correct? I said, no, commodio cordis didn't happen. It's never happened in pro football. The, the pads protect the, the shoulders and the, the sternum. Uh, the, the football helmet, the, the blow isn't isn't strong enough or fast enough to cause. Commodio cordis is caused by a line drive baseball uh, coming out at 100 miles an hour, hitting an unprotected sternum. And when that happens, the person immediately drops. Hamlin actually made the tackle, got up, was about ready to adjust his helmet. Then he had the cardiac arrest. So he didn't have commodio cordis. So as we sit here today, as the official story is from the Bills and from Hamlin, he's the first player in NFL history, Steve, to have commodio cordis. He's the first player to have a primary cardiac arrest, get shocked on the field, and then come back to sports with no ICD implanted. That's a lot of firsts. How is it, there, to me, and you know, you're the learned one here, but looking at it um, from a layman's perspective, there would be two reasons. One, or there would be likely two choices why you would have this many firsts. Number one, um, some form of new uh, advance of treatments that would create you know, a lot of these new precedents or a new form of affliction that would create these kinds of precedents. It's got to be one or the other, right? I mean, these guys are more medically examined than maybe any human being on planet Earth is, these NFL football players, on a continual basis. You would think if you had any kind of pre-existing condition or anything lending itself to something like this happening spontaneously, it would have been flagged. So it's got to be either an unprecedented uh, advancement of treatment or the unprecedented ascendancy of an ailment, right? Well, this is what I think uh, really has occurred. I think he's gone through a battery of tests. Nothing's turned up. His cardiac MRI is either normal or shows a minimum amount of late gadolinium enhancement. Uh, the vaccine was taken uh, somewhere between uh, August of 2021 and March of 2022. He maybe had a booster in uh, late 2022. And uh, the doctors are in this zone where they know good clinical care would be don't take any risks, put in an ICD, he could have another cardiac arrest. That means no more tackle football, he'd have to do something else. Or they could say, you know, we're not really sure, uh, we're not willing to make the call that it's the vaccine. Uh, go ahead and go out and play. 
and take the risk. And they may have had them sign some uh, disclosures or some waivers. You know, the risk of another tackle or something happening in practice and another cardiac arrest is real. And we can never predict where or when it's gonna happen. But the Bills, his personal doctors, the NFL, they're taking an extraordinary risk of anybody with any cardiac arrest, Steve, if it was hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, anomalous coronary arteries, coronary heart disease, COVID uh, vaccine-induced myocarditis, whatever it is, when someone has a cardiac arrest on the field, the point is, the reason why we put in ICDs, implantable cardio defibrillators, is because it can happen again. We're Mm -hmm. trying to, you know, he's lucky he made it. In the European leagues, this has been studied, Steve, and I've published this now with uh, Dr. Polycretus, that uh, these cardiac arrests that are occurring in the European athletes, and there's montages of them uh, occurring large numbers by the hundreds, uh, about two thirds don't survive. You know, Hamlin was lucky that they got underneath the pads right away and defibrillated them. We are now getting more safety signals with these jabs. The study that came out last week about uh, blood clots in the eye uh, that can lead to blindness highlights some of the more recent developments that have come out in terms of the escalating safety or lack thereof profile, uh, risk profile of these jabs. The big paper, and it's summarized in my Substack Courageous Discourse, you can get the original paper and the and the condensed abstract, uh, was a giant study, Steve. They used a um, retinal artery uh, photography database. It was a group of, um, of Chinese uh, authors that did it, but it was a U.S. database, a wonderful set of information. This is the, the, the shocking results, is that two messenger RNA shots, even up to two years ago, increased the risk, and a meaningful increase in risk, in small blood clots going to the arteries and the veins in the eyes, retinal artery occlusion, retinal vein occlusion. Now, the source of these micro blood clots is outside the eyes. It's somewhere in the vasculature from the heart, the aorta, the carotid, and ultimately up to the ophthalmic arteries. Uh, This is stunning. This is the first two-year data that we have after taking two shots, and it's not good. And the survival curves continue to separate. So there was some hope. People used to ask me, how long is it before someone no longer has to worry about side effects with the vaccines? And again, side effects being serious things like heart damage, stroke, heart attack, neurologic damage, blood clots. Uh, And now I'm saying, listen, I don't know. The the two-year data don't look good. So uh, our, our suspicion was that the genetic material lasts a long time in the body and the spike protein even longer. And I was being borne out with this large study. And I, when I mean large, Steve, this is hundreds of thousands of people mm-hmm. who took the vaccine versus many hundreds of thousands who didn't take the vaccine. And there were clear differences. Two and a half, we're, we're approaching two and a half years of real-time onboarding data with, with, these COVID, with these COVID shots. Looking at this now more as an epidemiologist than a cardiologist, and so the broader statistical profile here, Peter, do you believe... When you look at the total risk-reward ratio from an infection of the virus to pre-existing conditions to your particular age group, demographic, uh, and then whatever efficacy or lack thereof that the, the vaccines pre- pre- presented at any period of time, and then they're escalating uh, after, you know, uh, aforementioned risk profile, Were, was Operation Warp Speed, in your view, a net positive or net negative? Operation Warp Speed is a mixed uh, report 
Remember, Operation Warp Speed was more than just the vaccine. So the big winners that came out of OWS were the monoclonal antibodies. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had product after product, every one safe and effective. They, they saved lives. But, but within a few months, each one was pulled off the market for theoretical reasons. They were hard to get. There was maldistribution to states. Remember, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis just absolutely screaming, where are the monoclonal antibodies? We need to treat patients. In my view, every sick American who went to the ER should have gotten a monoclonal antibody infusion. And you know, I don't care if theoretically it was off of what would the, be the presumed strain. They should have gotten it. The data have come in now. Every single study, a good one to quote by Kim and colleagues in Annals of Internal Medicine, show a massive reduction in mortality. And, and only a small percentage of people actually got the monoclonal antibodies before they went into the hospital. They all so that's the winner of Operation Warp Speed. Operation Warp Speed, uh, the losers were the vaccines, and they really featured the genetic vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, uh, and then Janssen. Uh, all of these vaccines uh, were not safe, not effective. A, a, a overall risk-benefit analysis from the randomized trials done by Freeman and colleagues from uh, Louisiana, I, I've met him and talked to him personally, show that even from the very beginning, just two months after taking the shots in the uh, clinical trials, the risks far outweighed the benefits, uh, and the risks included serious problems, the cardiovascular, neurologic, uh, hematologic, and immunologic uh, problems. And the benefits were that, uh, that they never stopped uh, severe disease, never stopped transmission, and only had a modest effect on reducing new cases of COVID uh, originally. And then the data poured in. When the Pfizer dossier came out, and we learned that Pfizer recorded 1,223 deaths within 90 days of their hmm. product. And they, they recorded that in their obligatory post-marketing data. The, the We knew the vaccine, that product should have been pulled off the market after no more than 50 cases. Moderna still has not released their data publicly, neither has Janssen or Novavax. So as the vaccines came out, uh, they quickly became outdated, uh, the virus mutated, and um, you know, I was neutral on the vaccines for the first few months. I was thinking maybe to protect nursing home workers or uh, nursing home residents if they were safe and effective. No more than 2.7 million, uh, million people getting vaccines in my estimation. And I had published a series of op-eds in The Hill on this. Uh, but, but then when we saw that, that really the, the government response was to have the entire country taken, even down to six-month-old babies, pregnant women, we knew that there was an overreach, there was uh, an unbridled enthusiasm for the vaccines, and our government agencies saw no possibility that they would fail. They saw, if you, you see these montages in the media, these media personalities never considered that the vaccines would be unsafe or, or ineffective. They just assumed they worked and they started all this virtue signaling uh, and, and really browbeating and then ultimately uh, pressuring and, and coercing others to take the vaccine. Final question. I've got less than a minute, but I constantly get questions from people, and you're more qualified to answer this, obviously, than me. If I'm trying to purge the spiked protein out of my body, what would you recommend people do? You know, I can't make any therapeutic claims yet, but I can tell you widely used is natokinase. Natokinase, N-A-T-T-O-K-I-N-A-S-E. It's a Japanese uh, invention. Uh, it's uh, developed from the fermentation of soy. It's available. Best uh, quality product is by the Wellness Company. I advise that company. Spike support two capsules twice a day. 
Uh, it dissolves the spike protein preclinical models. So far, everything we're seeing clinically is very favorable. TWC.health, by the way, is that website uh, for the wellness company, folks, if you want to visit that. T as in Tom, W as in water, C as in Carl, TWC.health is where you want to go. Always good to see you, brother. Thank you very much for everything you do and continue to do. God bless you, all right? Thank you. Thank you, Steve. You bet. Again, TWC.health. Got about a minute here. Thoughts on that conversation? It can't be reemphasized enough when men like him come on our show that he has not been given audience to all of the major networks, all of the major newspapers. He, he's not some radical. He, he, he just doesn't want people to die. And, he, and he's, that's going back to why Steve started the way he does. That was tactical. He's, he, he's, maybe even if a fringe guy is right, he's got to build up his credibility what more do you need to at least have a listen to this man after all this time? Amen. The comments about the media and, you know, never considering that this product might not be safe. It's not that they didn't consider to the system and the mouthpieces of the system. It was never about saving lives or killing people, although there's more evidence for the latter, maybe in some instances. Mm-hmm. It was always about using this as yet another cudgel to obtain power and diminish the others in society. That's always what these types of things are. It is interesting, just as the monoclonal antibodies were becoming uh, noticeably effective and states like Florida started using, uh, you know, aggressive means of distributing them, suddenly they start pulling them off the market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.